Good to see all of you. What an exciting morning already. You can see Juliet be baptized. And I'm just going to, I just want to ask if you're here to support Juliet, you're part of her family or whatever, I'm going to ask you all to stand just so we can say thanks for being here. Look at that's a great looking crew. All right. Thank you all so much. So um, as, as Brandon mentioned, we're in part three of this series. We're in on the name. And we're primarily looking at Isaiah chapter nine. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Isaiah chapter nine. We'll be looking at uh, verses six and seven. We'll be looking at this verse the last two weeks. Kind of looking at the different names that uh, the prophet Isaiah is ascribing to this, this son who will be born, this child that's will be given to us from their perspective. And uh, so all these names, we've, we've, we've looked at the wonderful counselor, we've looked at mighty God. Today we're looking at everlasting father. And it's just really neat, before we read this, just want to remind us of what the context was, uh, what was Israel experiencing uh, when God gave this prophecy to them. So uh, the year is, is roughly right before 722 BC. So you know, mid 720s is when this is. Um, the the kingdom of God, the kingdom of, of the nation of Israel, had split into two kingdoms: Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And Israel had been, you know, kind of dealt with. And now the Assyrians, which were the empire at hand, were kind of bleeding on down into Judah as well, and, and getting ready to attack Jerusalem. And so there's just a lot of upheaval, a lot of panic. I mean. Just imagine if we were being oppressed by a foreign empire and they were way mightier than us and it looked like it would be inevitable that we were going to be conquered and just the desperation we'd feel, the, the times we would spend praying, crying out to the Lord and all that was, was happening. And so God's answer to Israel's problem is the same as God's answer to our issues today. That is, to us, a child was given, a son was born. So let's read Isaiah chapter 9 together, looking at verses 6 through 7, just to, again, re-familiarize us with this passage. I'm going to ask you to stand and honor reading of God's holy word. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. The prophet says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are, we are just in awe of you, and we, we celebrate you, we worship you this morning, because we know that you are that son, that child who was to be given, who is, you are the solution to all of the issues that's described in the book of Isaiah, all the issues we face today, our lostness, our depravity, our sinfulness, our selfishness, our pride, our greed, oppression, that Jesus, you, the gospel, is the solution to all of these issues. So we celebrate you, we worship you, we honor you. I just pray now, Lord, as we discuss your name of everlasting Father, that you would just give us understanding and clarity as not only to the meaning, but God, to the implications that this 
identity of yours has in our lives. So, Lord, we just lay this time at your feet. We praise you for saving us. We praise you for Juliet and the salvation that you've given to her by your sheer grace. Uh, The same that you've given to all of us who have believed in your name. You've given us all the right to be called your children. So, God, we give you glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Go ahead and be seated. Okay, so as we talk about the name, the, if you have your sermon notes, go ahead and pull those out. And you can also access those on the, on the Canaan STL app. If you don't have the app, you can just look at the App Store, Google Store, whatever, download Canaan STL. The, uh, the big thought today, just unpacking this, this title, this name of Jesus, Everlasting Father. And that his title refers to his perpetual reign and his role as father to his people. We're going to get into some Trinity conversation today. So if you have the theological mind, you might find this very interesting. So we're going to dive right in and look at the meaning of everlasting father. What does this mean? And we're going to break each word down here. So first we're going to look at the word everlasting. This term always refers to the unforeseeable future, right? This term is used with references to people, to things that are not eternal but temporal, but how they can have an everlasting application. And so in, in Isaiah's day, this is a very common saying. Everyone talking about everlasting, when talking about to a king, may his, may his reign be everlasting. May he rule a long time. May he rule for, for many days. We see examples of this, like in the book of, the book of Psalms. It says, for you, you meet him with rich blessings. Here, the you is God meeting with him who is a king. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. And it goes on, it says, he asked of you, And you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. Talking about the reign of the human king uh, as he he ruled on the throne. We see it in Lamentations. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. This idea of a king reigning forever and ever. And so we kind of, we get the phrase, I mean, have you heard the phrase through movies or books? Long live the king. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? That's the idea of this king, this son who's going to be born, this child which will be given, the Messiah, that he would long live the king, right? But of course, being Jesus, there is that actual eternal everlasting component. He is the only king who really is and will reign forever and ever and ever. Amen? I mean, it's hard for us to fathom this because, you know, we, we have never in our nation had a perfect president, Right? Can't get an amen on that. Come on. Yeah, we've never had a perfect president. There may have been a president that during his uh, administration, you know, you were, you were, you thought things went well, but you knew that his administration would come to an end. You know, at least not the first four years, then the second four years, unless you were alive during the FDR, and it was a little bit longer than that. But we knew that their presidency would come to an end, would have to vote, and sometimes we looked really forward to having those elections so we get someone new in the office. Sometimes we were going to miss the guy, but regardless, we knew it was come to an end. But just imagine if we had that president who was incredible, perfect. He legislated all your policies that you wanted. Everything you were convicted about and all the values you held were represented in the government of the United States and was perpetuated through his. And and you had to guarantee that his presidency would never end. You imagine that. You're beginning to get a taste 
of what this scripture is talking about, the perpetual reign of the perfect king, King Jesus. And so here, this Hebrew word translated everlasting is this without end, in perpetuity. <laughs> in fact, in this next verse, it kind of says it again about the Messiah, verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So it's, this emphasis is looking is forward-looking so that everything is just as good a translation, I'm sorry, everlasting is, is probably a better translation than eternal because it goes on, starts down, just goes on, it keeps on, it keeps on, it keeps on. Long live the king. So that's kind of the meaning behind this word, everlasting. Secondly, is the word father. Father. So let's just go right in. So a son is going to be born. We know this is Jesus, but here's claiming Jesus is the father. Do we get into some Trinity issues here? So... Say amen if you agree with this. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is God. Is the Son the Father? Oh, here we go. Trixie, right? Trinity. Woo! Do you really meet, if you ever meet somebody who says, I fully understand the Trinity, they are lying their tail off. Right? Because they were talking about the infinite God. We're finite. There's only so much we understand, right? You know, and the more we know, the more we know we don't know kind of a deal, right? And, you know, if, you've, if you remember studying math, we've got a few math teachers in here, you know, you study math and you, you, you beat algebra one, you pass it, it's great. But guess what's coming? Algebra two, right? You get algebra two done, then what's coming? Trigonometry, calculus, you know, it's all this stuff, and it's just harder and layers. I remember going to college taking calculus, and the first day of calculus, our professor gets up and says, well, ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. Here's where mathematics actually begins. Everything else has been preparatory for real mathematics, which begins with calculus. I was like, oh boy, here we go. Issues of the Trinity. So let's just, let's, let's unpack this stuff about the Trinity, because this is not to confuse us about the Trinity, right? This concept of the son who's going to be given to us, his child who's been born, and his time of being everlasting father is not to confuse us about Trinity. So it brings up a really good conversation about Trinity. If, if, God, if Jesus, the son, is also the father, that's anti-Trinitarian. We get into, bad, we get into some trouble there. So let's, let's look at Trinity heresies. Heresies means false teaching, false doctrine that have really integrated the church, been rampant in the church. And the first heresy that's very common when you get into conversations about the Trinity is this heresy called modalism. A big term, I know, everybody say modalism. Modalism, yeah. The word mode or form is here, right? And so here's the, the heresy. The heresy or the false teaching about Trinity being modes or modalism teaches that God is a single person who has eternally existed and yet has revealed himself in three modes or forms. True Trinity theology is God is one God, but three persons, right? So it gets kind of dicey here. We're going to be very clear, very accurate according to scriptures. So the three modes. And so there's, you know, we, we always try to come up with these analogies to help us understand the Trinity. So Modalism holds that God revealed himself as Father in the Old Testament, 
In the incarnation, he revealed himself in the mode of the Son, and following Jesus' ascension, revealed himself in the mode of the Spirit. The problem here is that in modalism, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit cannot exist simultaneously. This means that modalist and modalism, right, denies the distinctiveness of the three persons of the Trinity. So obviously, that's a problem. And so those who embrace modalism reject Trinity. Those who reject Trinity reject Orthodox Christianity, and that's, again, trouble. So here's probably the most popular analogy of modalism is that God is like water. Water can be solid, can be liquid, it can be gas or vapor. But what's the problem with that? Do all three of those exist at the same moment? No, they don't, except in one extremely rare, rare physics moment, right? But they don't all three exist at the same time. So that's another example of modalism as well. Daniel here, I am a father, I am also a son, and I'm a pastor, right? But the thing is, none of y'all call me daddy, except a few of my kids that are up there, right? And none of you except my wife calls me husband. All of you call me pastor, right? But I'm not my mom's pastor. She has a pastor, you know what I mean? So I'm not all three of those at the same time. So it's a good try, but it's, it falls short, and it actually leads us to heresy. We don't want to do that. So that's one example of anti-Trinitarian teaching of modalism, which we could get into here if we say that the Son is also the Father. That's trouble. There's actually a movement. It's pretty common. Some of you know, may know T.D. Jakes. This is where he gets caught up. He's, he doesn't believe in Trinity. He believes in unity, that God can be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's actually a modalist. Um, some of our Pentecostal friends, you know, are, are not Trinitarian, although they believe in God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. They actually end up more in modalism. So this is a dangerous heresy. It actually skews our view of God a little bit. And why? Because we, do, we want to try to understand God. So it's the attempt to try to understand God in the Trinity. But in doing so, we try to put God in a box we can fully understand. We end up making God smaller and not exactly who he really is. And you just have this confession with me. God is bigger than my mind. Amen? He's bigger than my mind to fully fathom and grasp. And probably in no theological doctrine is that more true than in the doctrine of the Trinity. One God, three persons. Another heresy that's been around throughout the history of the church is called Arianism, named after a guy named Arius. And it teaches that Jesus was created by the Father, that he is not of the same substance or the same nature as the Father. Instead, Jesus is a finite created being. This is Mormonism. This is Jehovah's Witness teaching. This is the, the, the popular analogy is that the, the sun, you know, the sun um, is, it sends light and it sends heat. It's like the Father sent the Son and the Father sent the Holy Spirit. The problem is light and heat are not their own entity. They're created by the Son, right? So that's the analogy, that the Father created the Son, the Father created the Holy Spirit. And we know that's not true, amen? I mean, Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God, not creations of God. So obviously that analogy um, can fall short. And the third, probably most common heresy about the Trinity is partialism. 
teaches that the three members of the Trinity are 100% God, but God, but not 100% of God. So Jesus is completely God, but he's just a third of God. That God is partialed up, you know, kind of like, and the, uh, the analogy is, a, is the, the clover, the three-leaf clover, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Problem is they're not all the same. So all these analogies that we try help some, some, but they also get us into trouble because they lead us into heresy. So what, how do we define the Trinity? Well, according to one Lutheran satire video, which is actually really good, says the Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which is a creed from ancient church history, but actually had this guy named Athanasius argued with Arius about Arianism, right? And he states that the we worship one God in Trinity, Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons, plural, there's three persons in the Trinity, nor dividing the substance, or all the exact same stuff, right? And that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. That's a mouthful. So I remember when I was in seminary, and we were having this conversation about Trinity. We're all trying to wrap our theological minds around the, the robustness of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, trying to understand how this works. My professor shared something that he had written in his Bible. It was really good. So I copied it down into my study Bible as well. It's there to this day. Here's what it is. If there is one God, which we believe that, amen, and if there are three persons called God in the Bible, which we believe that, amen, then by faith, I must accept the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, even though my mind cannot fully comprehend how God can be one, yet three, in perfect harmony and completeness. So this is my personal statement of faith that's in my study Bible that I look at every day, the Trinity. So, all of that to say this, that in our text, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, when it says that the son who will be given, the child who will be born, will be called everlasting father. That does not mean that Jesus the son is God the father, because he is God the son. Amen? Anybody tracking with that? Anybody confused? Raise your hand. We'll talk later. All right. So, what does it mean then that he's the everlasting father? It means he is the father of the people as the king. Just all king language, right? Jesus, long live the king. He's the wonderful counselor. We looked at that two weeks ago, which means not only does he always give the right advice, the right leadership, the right direction, he also then is, is wonderful, moves us to all, but he's also mighty God. He also has the power to enact that advice, to enact his own counsel, to enact his own direction, and empower us to do the right thing. Well, then today he's everlasting father. And so we're going to talk about fathers. Many rulers in ancient times were considered the father of their country, the father of their nation. We see some of this language in Isaiah 22, when God's talking to this one servant named Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. Hilkiah was a priest. It says, I will clothe him with your robe, and I will bind your sash on him, will commit your authority to his hand. He shall be what? A father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. So he's that father role. Here in America, if I had to ask you, based on your 
expertise in American history, who would you say is the father of the United States? There he is, right? The father, why is that? Well, he was the first president. He was the commanding general of the Continental Army that shocked the world and where we as a bunch of, you know, redneck colonials defeated the most powerful army in the world. So he's a hero, right? He was a great leader. He, He wasn't perfect. He's not Jesus, not even close. But he's the father of our nation. What does that mean? Well, he... He set us up. He began that whole incredible process, that whole journey. So um, he's the father. So, but also, so there's that concept that Jesus, this king, will be the father of the Jewish people. In the Old Testament, father of all followers of Jesus, father of all believers, father of all believers in that sense, as far as leading us, guiding us in all the future. So we get to, we get that. But also, father, it's also a very relational term. Just why in the, in the ancient days, especially here in Israel, they're talking about their king. They also used relational terms. They got to know their king. Their king would know them, would lead them, would guide them, would love them. And so it's this whole relational aspect that we see with Jesus and with our Father in heaven, God the Father, is that relationship. You think of Father, you look at like New Testament passage, like Galatians chapter 4, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. We call Abba, Father, right? Abba is an Aramaic term of endearment. Daddy, it's a close relationship. We also see similar about God the Father, Romans 8. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So our follower of Jesus, yes, he is our king. He gives wonderful counselor. He's a lot of wow. That's the word wonderful. A lot of wow in all that he does. He's mighty God. He also loves us like a father. He shepherds us. He guides us. He protects us. And so we're going to unpack some aspects of this in just a minute about what does it mean that he loves us like a father. So um, look at number two in your notes. It's the name Everlasting Father. Now let's look at the implications. Now look at the meaning. Everlasting Father. Jesus, is king, his kingdom as king will reign forever and ever. There'll be no end. And he'll be the father of his people. Like George Washington, the father of a nation. But he's not God the father. He's God the son. Be, that, be clear there. So what are the implications? Well, his reign is everlasting. As the everlasting father, the Messiah will be like a father, and his fatherhood will be without end. He'll always be there. Some of you have had father issues, perhaps, Maybe when you were young, your father left. Maybe he left before you were born. A lot of people deal with abandonment issues from fathers and causes all kinds of other issues in life. It's hard. So hard. Jesus will never leave you. Amen? He promises that. He says, I will never leave you, never forsake you. I am with you. Christmas Eve, we're looking at Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is always with us. There's nothing you can do to force Jesus away. There's nothing you can do to drive him away. He will always be with you. Isn't that great news? It's such good news. 
He doesn't love me and stay with me based on my performance. He loves me and stays with me because he is God, and that's just who he is. That is so encouraging. So encouraging. And so he is always with us, and they will have no end. So in ancient times, his father of the nation was viewed as much the same way as the father of a family, right? It was the father who was to protect. It was the father who would provide for his children. The same way this child, Jesus, right, would be born, would become the king who will be the father to the nation of Israel and father to the church. New Testament see that Christ is the head of the church, right? He's king, he's boss, he's supreme. Who is the leader of the church called Canaan Baptist Church? It's Jesus, right? It's not Daniel, it's not the pastors, it's not the deacons. It's Jesus, period. The rest of us, we're followers. We follow King Jesus, so we want his reign to be forever. I know in the army, um, we would every two years we get a new battalion commander. And that was a that was a day where everybody got nervous, right? Because you didn't know what you were going to get. I mean, you might have read a bio about the guy, or you might have heard a little bit about him, but you didn't know exactly what he was going to be like. And in those in those rare times when we'd had a a really good commander. We hated to see him go. We hated for his time to end. But then we'd get a new guy and we'd kind of adjust. And so I remember my first commander, he was a guy everybody loved, Lieutenant Colonel Ferris. He was just, everybody loved him. He was a great leader. He was compassionate. But his time came to an end. We had the changing of command ceremony. We're all in our big, nice uniforms and parade field. It's just, you know, a lot of pomp and circumstance. And we get this new commander coming in. He couldn't be more opposite, right? Where Colonel Ferris had led as a good leader who had compassion, really cared about his soldiers, this new commander cared about himself. And the entire battalion's job was just to make him look good. You know what I'm talking about? You have leaders like that, right? So it just couldn't be night and day. So I dreaded one command to end. I couldn't wait for the next command to end, right? But it was seasonal. That's not the way it was. I remember when Tara and I were in, we were in Texas, we were a member of Canyon Creek Baptist Church. Looks a lot like Canaan a little bit, same kind of architecture. We love this church. Pastor Jerry Sue Rains was the pastor. This is the guy that I learned how to preach from. He was just, he still is a very godly man. Still at it. He's still preaching away down in Texas. He started the church in 1978. Who remembers there? This is from like 95 to, I don't know, 98, whatever, when we were in Texas. But in 1997, God called him away. Started the church. He'd been there for 18 years. God called him away to a church up in Dallas. It was a sad time. We loved him, right? I mean, a lot of y'all experienced pastors leaving before, right? Other churches, but it was hard. It's, you know, unless you you didn't like the pastor. I don't know. Whatever. I'm not going to get into all that. It was just a hard time, you know? Like, gosh, we we just thought he's going to be here forever. And he goes off and goes to another church and, well, who's going to get after this? And it didn't go well. The next guy was one of those guys you're like, whew, but I digress. With Jesus, it's not like that. He is forever. And like the king, he is very relational. Jesus is all about relationship. He wants a relationship with you. We, we enjoy a relationship with God through prayer and you know, we, we talked about some of that some last week, and 
Every Wednesday night, we have the prayer meeting. It's where we get together, we just talk to God, we enjoy the relationship we have with Jesus. Well, if you look at when Jesus teaches us to pray, so just turn your Bible to Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 6. We're just going to look at this briefly, and then we'll be, we'll be done here. But Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us about a father. As he talks to the father in prayer, teaches us how to pray. So not only here does Jesus teach us how to pray, we learn a lot about the father. The father that Jesus is to his people, but also as dads in the room, we learn a lot about what it means to be a dad. So there's just a lot of good application, a lot of good meat here. As we go through this Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, let me just, just read it, Y'all can, or you can quote it with me. I'm, but if I quote it, I'm going to use the old King James. I'm going to read it in ESV, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And in some of the later versions also have the text for yours is the kingdom, and the glory, and the power forever. Amen. So what do we learn about fathers here? Our relationship to Jesus and also earthly dads. First, fathers are to be honored. Everything we do should be to honor Jesus because he is worthy to be honored. The first thing that Jesus says to the father is, Hallowed be your name. Honored, holy is your name. God and God alone is worth all the honor that we can give him and so much more. Amen? So ask that question, you know, are, are you seeking to honor the Lord in everything? For us as Americans, you know, one, one area that we as a culture regularly dishonor the Lord in is in human sexuality. It's the whole sex thing. I mean, whether it's lust, perversion. We got to remember what Paul teaches us so clearly in 1 Corinthians. He says, flee. Just say flee. Flee. What does that mean? Get away from. Don't even go near it. Don't dance with it. Don't try to step up to the line. Well, how far can I go without crossing? Don't even get close to the line. Flee means you run the opposite direction. Flee sexual morality. But then Paul impacts why. Because every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Why is that so terrible? Because don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? He's within you, right? That you have from God and you are not your own. What does he say? You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Honor God with your body and everything about it. Honor the Lord. This is an American sin stronghold, right? It's this whole sex thing. We've twisted it, perverted it, redefined it, used it. It's horrible. Honor Jesus. He is honor-worthy. Because he is the everlasting father. Hallowed be your name. You can't say hallowed be your name if you're out living ungodly lifestyle sexually, right? You can't say hallowed be your name if you're taking the Lord's name in vain or if you're, you know, being a total glutton or if you're greedy and 
whatever. It's filling all. Anytime we're serving self and sin, and we're not honoring Jesus, that's why it's such a big deal. Honor Him. Fathers are worthy of honor. Secondly, fathers lead. Get Jesus' appeal here. Your kingdom come and your will be done. God, what you will, that's what we need to do. King Jesus, what you will, that's what we need to do. Your will be done. Dads, godly dads lead their families. Christ-centered ways. You encourage participation with the body of Christ. You lead out and just make sure the Bible's read, you know, in your home. That your kids are growing up understanding the gospel. You can't make their decisions for them. We can make sure they're exposed to the truth of who Jesus is, right? We can shepherd them and guide them. Fathers, lead. Are you following Jesus' leadership in your life? Are you saying yes, Lord, to what he's leading you to do? Are you seeking his guidance in the decisions you make? Do you take all those big decisions to him first in prayer and counsel with scripture, counsel with other godly people? Are you seeking to follow the Lord Jesus? He's the everlasting father. Third, fathers are to be obeyed. Jesus himself says in John 14, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Love obeys. What happens when we don't obey? We're loving ourselves more than we love the person who's told us what to do, right? A lot of times at work, you might not have a warm, fuzzy love for your boss. Your boss tells you to do something, right? If you don't want to, if you're loving yourself more in that moment, you're going to do whatever you want to do and disobey. You might get in trouble for it. But when we truly love someone, we obey them if they're, if they're in that position of authority over us. King Jesus, he's our everlasting father. We are to obey him. Fathers provide. Fathers provide. Look at what Jesus says here in the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us. Fathers provide. One of God's names in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Jireh, right? The, the God I am provides. We see in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, how his divine power, Jesus' divine power has granted to us what? Say it with me. All things. Jesus has provided us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Sometimes we'll say, well, you know, I'll, I'll obey Jesus when X happens, right? No, you already have everything in your life you need to follow Jesus. If, you're, if you've trusted in him. He's given us all things. Just to finish out the verse, that's a great passage. We get this through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them, through those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Next, father's love. You know, here's the thing. You've got to see the balance here. His will be done on earth as in heaven. There's the commands. There's those things we're to obey. That can get hard. And when we, you know, even when we do those things sexually that we're not supposed to do, it can be guilt and shame and, and all that goes in there. Like, we feel isolated that we're hated and judged. And, and God still loves us, right? 
And here's where that love conquers even all of that sin. Because the love and the compassion of God show through here in this prayer. Forgive us our debts. God is willing to forgive because he loves us. So, yeah, you know, it, it seems like sometimes we as a church, we kind of talk out both sides of our mouth, you know, because we'll say on the one hand that, yeah, God says this is sin, so don't do that. And then you do that, and you're, well, does God hate me? Does God punish me? You know, God hates the sin, absolutely. At the same time, we also say that God is a loving God. He forgives. He's merciful. He's compassionate. And he is, right? But to understand how much he loves us, we also have to understand how bad this is. Does that make sense? So when we understand how sinful sin really is, then we're free to really understand how, not to use the cliche, but how amazing his grace really is. So we understand how far we've gone away, we also understand how much he really loves us to bring us back. And so we see both of these here in this prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I really messed that up. So God, forgive us our debts. Father's love. First John really sums this up well. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest, demonstrated among us, that God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. Then number six, fathers protect. Fathers protect. Our everlasting father protects us. There's so many stories, churches with people in this room. Times in your life when you knew that you were in trouble. It could have been like a, it could have been a physical trouble. Or it could have been an emotional, relational trouble. It could have been a financial trouble. It could have been a job trouble. But you knew you were in trouble, and you really also knew you didn't have the power to do anything about it. So what do we do in times like that? We pray. Because who does have the power to do something about it? Mighty God, who's our everlasting Father. So we pray to him. And how many of you have personal stories? We've prayed for God's protection, and he protected. Just raise your hand. Oh, just keep them up. Just look around. At least 100 personal testimonies in this room that give credibility to this claim that Jesus is everlasting Father who protects. Dads. Dads protect their families. Your families should not be scared of you in an unhealthy way. They should look to dad as protector, right? Because that's the heart of God. It's the heart of King Jesus, his everlasting father, protects. And he does. We have scripture promises like this. First Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you except that is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you, there is protecting, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so you may be able to endure it. Isn't that a great promise? That you know what your struggles are. God's promised you, look, I am never, just say never with me. I am never going to let you be in a situation or a position where the temptation is going to come on you is going to be more then you can handle. You will always be able to withstand that temptation or to seek that escape that I will, again, provide you. Now, that's good news. 
The bad news is we look back and go, oof, I have sure succumbed to a lot of temptation though, right? Can I get an amen on that? What does that mean? That has nothing to do with God's faithfulness. That has to do with our faithful, faithlessness, right? God is always faithful. He protects because King Jesus is the good shepherd. Good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And if you're a follower of Jesus, at that moment in time that if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as your shepherd, he's good. Loves you. He's not going to lead you into troubled waters. According to Psalm 23, what kind of waters does he lead you to? Still waters, calm. He doesn't lead you into an arid desert. He leads you into green pastures, right? He's the good shepherd. He's the everlasting father. He's protecting you. So, just going to end our time here together. Just kind of going through the roles that King Jesus does in our lives as our everlasting father, right? He loves us. He provides provides for us, he protects us. Maybe you need to pray about some of that today. Maybe you're experiencing something that seems danger, caution, trouble, or someone in your family or loved one is, is in a dangerous spot. You want to pray for God's protection. Maybe you're today, you, you got big decisions coming up. Or maybe they're not so big, but they're still decisions. They're kind of stressing you out a little bit. You need God's leadership, his guidance. Or maybe you need provision. You need God to provide something for you in your life. Or maybe you seem to be reminded that God is love. Maybe you haven't honored King Jesus the way you know you're called to. And you just want to tell him this morning, I'm sorry, I did not honor you. Please forgive me. I just want to experience fullness of your love. These are all responses that honor the Lord. So let's all stand together. We're going to go into a time of prayer, a time of response. Nathan's coming out here. He's going to lead us in a... This is a time where we're going to be able to pray and respond. I'm going to ask our prayer counselors, you'll go ahead and just make your way down here to the front. We have a team of great men and women that love the Lord, that love to pray, love to pray with people and for, for you. So if you want to have somebody pray with you about protection you need or provision you need, or maybe you're here today and even better, you've never had that moment. You've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And maybe today you need Jesus to become your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, your everlasting Father. That can happen here this morning, just like it happened with Juliet back in October. She gave her life to Jesus Christ and is ready to be baptized, and we baptize her this morning. So wherever you're at in your journey with Jesus, what is your next step? I pray you take that step this morning. As we sing, the altar's open. You can come to the altar and pray just by yourself or with your spouse, with a loved one, with a friend. We just want this to be a praying church. I mean, Jesus said, my father's house should be called a house of what? Prayer. Yeah. Not preaching, not worship, all that's important. Jesus said, my house be a house of prayer.
let's obey. Let's be genuine about our walk with Jesus. Let's pray for each other as we go into this time of response. Father, this is your time. We just commend it to you, Lord, and thankful that you love us. Thank you that, Jesus, you are the everlasting Father who reigns forever over us and you lead us, you guide us, you protect us. We're called to honor you and to obey you. So, Lord, I just pray that in this time right here, we're authentic about our faith and we just are moved by you to make things right with you if they're not. God, to seek your help and protection and guidance in other areas of our life if we need that. Or God, to pray on behalf of someone else who we know is struggling. They need your intervention in their life. God, may we just bring this all to you. God, if there's anyone here who's never trusted you as Lord and Savior, God, may this be that moment that they begin their everlasting life with you through salvation. God, if there's someone here or family here that needs to join this church family, God, move in their hearts as well. Lord, this is your time to accomplish your work in our lives for your glory's sake. Help us to be leadable. Help us to be obedient. Help us to have that heart and desire to honor you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.